0: Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that could transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the lives of the people you know. This is Season 4, Darkness Passing, a reading of the letter of 1 John. You're about to hear a conversation between Kent Reader a pastor at Illumin Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, and Luke Thompson, a pastor at St. Paul, a congregation serving downtown Ottawa, the University of Ottawa, and Carleton University in Ontario, Canada. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. This is the fourth season's third episode, Life in the Light.
1: Welcome to the Notable Podcast. good to be back. It is very good to be
2: back. Kent, last week we talked about John as a young man, a 20-something, trying to figure out who he was in a very spiritually confusing world. He was looking for hope. Uh, hope in his own heart hope for the world around him and so he sought out this guy that everyone was talking about that uh, possibly his his teacher john the baptist was talking about he found jesus today we will see him begin to explain how that hope made real in the very real Flesh and Blood Jesus continues to transform Christian communities and the neighborhoods they find themselves in. And so as we begin kind of looking at this, um, maybe just to get the conversation started, Kent, John is going to begin, if, if we kind of look at the outline of John, the first half of it, he, he talks tons about this idea of living in the light, and he's going to right off the bat claim that Jesus brings light into a dark world. So in what ways, um, what significant ways do you hear people saying that we live in a dark world today? So what exactly does that mean for us that we're in a dark world?
1: I like this question because um, I, I thought of a lot of, like I spent some time thinking about it. And we do that a lot here. I'm the pastor at a Lumen church in Rock Hill. So our name is literally light. Um, yeah. So we think about that metaphor all the time. Um, But, like, one of the things that we see this preaching of a dark world or this this proclamation that the world is a dark place, one of the ways we see that is in, like, media uh, or in, in, in fiction, in things that are published, right? Like, dystopian movies are super popular. Right now, uh, whether it's *Hunger Games* or *The Handmaid's Tale* or um, *The Walking Dead*, we we love this idea that everything is broken and failing and falling apart. And you, I think, have done some presenting on that even. So, like I thought of those, and I thought of you know the recent like the last three four months of my ministry have had a lot of real human tragedies that have happened, and uh, even inexplicable ones. um, Just unconscionable acts of violence from one person to another right within our um, within our community here, even to a member of our congregation happened. And so many people throw up their hands and they're like, well, the world is just, it's, it's hard. The world is really dark. I don't know how to explain it. Um, oh, what a, what a terrible place uh, this world is. And like the whole gun control conversation that's going on in, in America right now and the recent bombings that took place in Austin, uh, people are pointing at all those things like, it's so dark, it's so terrible. Um, and then um, I thought about maybe, maybe a, a version of preaching darkness or preaching the reality of darkness that is more subtle but more common and more pervasive that we don't even necessarily notice. And I think, I think of, of our tendency towards sarcasm and yeah. cynicism. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, we love it in our comedians. We love this sort of dark, throw up your hands, you can't do anything about it version of the world, um, it's, it's all over the place because the world is, it is dark as Christians who claim to have some kind of answer to it. Um, one of the big questions I think that John is going to start to answer for us today is this this sort of theme idea of, you know, if the world is dark, what would it take to bring real change? What would it take to actually make it not dark and bring real light into our own lives and into our own communities right yeah yeah and in fact uh, talking about you you know you' were saying I was
2: I've been exploring some of these themes especially pop themes. And I read one guy that was analyzing uh, teen dystopian fiction and comparing it to old fiction and stuff like that. And and one of the things that he said was, like, if, if you're really kind of trying to understand where literature is going and just the general mindset, especially of young adults these days, there's kind of this disillusionment that's really kind of settled in. And so you have this. Generation that, on the one hand, wants to say with Obama, "Yes, we can," yet on the other hand, they just witness and see so much darkness and violence in this world. Um, in fact, while while I was just thinking about this theme in First John the other day, uh, that Death Cab for Cutie song came on the radio. "I'll follow you into the dark," and uh, yeah, and um, and you know, I, I was I googled it on YouTube, and there's. I don't know maybe 30 40 you know the first videos that come up are covers of this song it's like an anthem right almost for a generation and you th- and you listen to the words and and I'm just I'm going to totally butcher it but right it's like love of mine someday you will die but I'll be close behind and I'll follow you into the dark right and and so so there's this clear understanding I think especially if you're looking at the world in a very kind of materialistic, uh, atheistic or agnostic evolutionary sense where you have a generation that's coming to terms with this is a dark world we're living in right now, and death is just another passage into another darkness, right? Um, And the song is not about wondering what's coming next. It's literally... Right. It's going to be dark. I think the, the final verse has to be, right? Because we'll hold each other soon in the, in the blackest of rooms, right? And it's a beautiful mm-hmm. song, but it is, it is existentially dark and twisted um, as well at the same time, if that's the way that we actually view life now and life to come,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. It's also like the opposite of John. It so yeah. You know, because the, yeah. the chorus is, he's going to eliminate yeah. a spiritual solution <laughs> to that by saying heaven and hell decide to illuminate the nose and their vacancy signs, you know, that yeah. spirituality is not an answer. Uh, huh. That's yeah. a great connection.
2: Yeah, right, and John literally is saying, like, follow Jesus into the light, right? It's it's about darkness passing, right, one of the major themes, Um And it was making me think as well, um, I've been listening to this Brazilian philosopher, uh, and I totally, I, I forget who he was, but he made this amazing observation that we like to think that we're progressing, right, as a culture. We like to think that things are improving when we look at technology and politics and stuff like that. And he said, maybe we're progressing in our ideas of like ethics and politics, but that doesn't correlate with actual progression in ethics and politics, right? That is, we might be able to talk a lot more about being good, um, but that doesn't turn into actually becoming better people, right? You can progress, become better in your knowledge about a sport, right, like football, but that doesn't actually correlate into becoming a better football player. And so human yeah, life, sure. right, he, human life's point is, is we can we can feel like we're getting more educated, and we are, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different subject areas, but that doesn't transfer necessarily into actually improving as people, and improving in our being, and improving in who we are. Um, life just kind of remains dark, and imperfect, and dangerous, and violent, um, despite the fact that, that there's this veneer of progress that we're living in. Um, So like Ben Gibbard's darkness, right, that death, it still hangs over us. Um, Nietzsche says, right, we're straying through an infinite nothingness into an infinite darkness in his madman's parable. Um,
1: Yeah, so huge theme. Mm -hmm. So beautifully, right, in the section we're going to read today, John is going to have an answer to that. He's going to... I hope so. He's going to... Right. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of... and, And his answer is going to be not... Progress. It's not going to be a progressive answer. It's not going to be a, a practice makes perfect answer. It's going to be a, a an outside solution kind of anger. Absolutely. Or answer. Yeah. 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 Right. So, should we read the verses? Absolutely. Okay, listeners, uh, because one of the major themes of 1 John is this idea of community, we've been using the reading of the texts of 1 John as an opportunity to share a bit about the communities Jesus has made uh, where we serve and where we come from. And so, uh, Luke, tell us about who we're going to hear from in a minute uh, for our reading today.
2: Definitely. So at the, at the church that I serve at, St. Paul Lutheran in Ottawa, we have... One special group that meets together weekly to do an advanced Bible study. It's called our CAP class, and these are just brilliant, awesome brothers and sisters I get to share the gospel with regularly. And my partner, uh, Pastor Skip Getzinger, he leads this Bible class. But I know all the students real well. I serve them in lots of different ways. It's a diverse group. There's people from their 20s to 70s, a handful of nationalities. The people in the class I got to read are Kevin, Sue, Michael, Mika, Jeremy, Ursula, Carl, Judy, and Dalton.
1: All right, that's fantastic. Uh, so here we have a bunch of Christians from Luke's church in one of the advanced classes that they offer um, in this part of their Christian life, reading First John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in
0: him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is
1: in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son,
2: purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we
0: deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we may come out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ. The righteous, 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 the righteous one.
1: He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins,
0: Sins, and not only for ours, but
1: also for the sins of the whole world. We have this first question John's letter, not being a typical letter. But uh, a Middle Eastern sermon, so we have to separate ourselves from what we usually think of when we think of a letter that's written to somebody, Um, a Middle Eastern sermon that uses really pretty remarkable poetic devices frequently. Um, You are good at talking about this, Luke. What rhetorical and linguistic features do we see here um, that are going to help us drive forward from this point as he starts to introduce his overall themes?
2: Yeah, I, I think the first huge thing to recognize is that this is this is not a letter like you find in other parts of the Bible. So when, for example, the Apostle Paul writes letters, he begins with, uh, this is Paul, and I'm writing to these people, and uh, this is what I'm writing about. And then at the very end of the letter, he says, uh, I, Paul, wrote this. Um, it's nice. Say hi to this person. Say hi to this person. Then it concludes, John's whatever it is that we have here, it's not like that. It's not a letter that's being written in the same way. Instead, we've got what's almost, like, like you said, a kind of sermon or a uh, almost poetic writing that, that is going to end up being circulated around different churches, but it's addressing a very narrow issue at the same time. He's got a very clear uh, goal in mind with the letter. And so it's not going to be like our kind of Western letters where you have a very kind of logical sequence to it where um, you're going to have a paragraph with an introductory sentence and then introductory sentence kind of summarizes the rest of the paragraph and then the paragraph moves from A to B and B to C and then the end of it concludes, therefore, A equals C. There's not that same structure. Instead, it's going to be uh, just... I don't know. Like I've uh, I've heard it described as a, as a symphony at times, or a painting. Um, it's more like poetry the way that he goes about doing it. Yet, it's still got strong kind of um, what we would call artistic linguistic structure to it. Does that make sense?
1: Sure. So, like, um, First John ends up being more like watching um, a movie, right? That's been put together yeah. with, with characters yeah. that represent things and things that, as opposed to like watching the news. Actually, a movie um, is a very good. Just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: Yep. And in fact, when you when you look at this section here, and this is where he's really kind of going into it. What's interesting is he he uses what um, what uh, uh, linguistic scholars and study studiers of 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 this type of literature they call anaphora. And we use it in other things, too, contrast. So like at the very beginning of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, um, he uses this kind of repetition. He says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And that's kind of one right thing and then he goes on and says it was the age of wisdom and it was the age of foolishness it was the epoch of belief it was the epoch of incredulity it was the season of light it was the season of darkness it was the spring of hope it was the winter of despair and so he uses this contrast These kind of pairing, contrasting ideas, but we know what's being contrasted because it begins with the exact same kind of words and has the exact same form. And so we've got that here with John. It's absolutely gorgeous, far more gorgeous than Dickens ever wrote, right? He says, so this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and do not live by the truth. But if, and now we're on the second half of that contrast, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. And so by looking at that contrast, we can establish right away what John is talking about and what he's not talking about. So the theme here is how one walks, whether or not you are walking in the light or whether or not you're walking in the darkness. Are you walking, and we're talking here about walking through life in general. We're not talking about individual instances, but about one's general life as a Christian. And the walk of a Christian in life is what happens if we're really connected to Christ. If we're walking in the light, it's going to be clear that you're children of God, right? And so we have purification. And so I think that's the big thing, just kind of by looking at the way he begins this. And there's there's three of these contrasts. Right? That's just the first one. Right. We can break it into three sections here. But that sets up very clearly that what John is interested in is walking. So, your life in general, um, he's not interested, not saying you have to be perfect in every single instance in life, but he's saying, in general, in your life, in your walk through this life, um, are you claiming to have fellowship
1: yet walking in the darkness? Does that track? Yeah. So, like, as we look at this section there, these five if we statements um, that span verse six through verse ten. Yeah. Um, And and they get bookended by something too, right? There's this sort of uh, thesis that gets declared in in verse five. Yep. um, And then the purpose of that thesis that gets declared in two one, um, and two that he's, he's nailing down sort of his general theme and how he's going to deal with that theme, um, which with the darkness thing we talked about earlier, it really comes out in 6 through 10, even though he doesn't spend a ton of time addressing it, um, especially as he gets more and more specific. By the end, he's really just putting his cards out there in verse 10 and saying, look, if we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word isn't in us. And that's literally the opposite of what he said in five, the message that we have heard. Um, If his word's not in us, then we don't have that message anymore, and we get ourselves in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and then you look at that second pairing, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, right? And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. And so again right the idea here is he's talking about the ongoing state right of someone claiming to be without sin uh, or saying, um, you know these issues that, that I've got in my life, they're not that big of a deal. I'm not going to label them sins, something that needs to be addressed and changed. And that's contrasted with a life uh, engaged in repentance, right A life uh, engaged in this ongoing process of confession. Um, we're talking about one's walk again, right? Not these kind of individual instances,
1: um, whether or not you're, is so, you're deceiving yourself. Yeah, go on. That is so important, uh, like that contrast, and that, that that is the thing that's being contrasted. Uh, like John brings this up really beautifully throughout the whole book, um, and as does every other writer of the New Testament in their own way, um, but so frequently... The, the response that people have like the contrast people want to have is you're walking in darkness, okay then you need to start doing the right thing right. you need to start walking correctly and behaving better, right. but John's Response: John's contrast is different. His contrast is, you've been walking in darkness. You've been not doing things that are good. Then, then confess. Then, then live in confession. So, like when Soren Kierkegaard is talking about how purity of heart is to will this one thing, and this one thing is confession yeah. that the desire to see the good come out um, through confession and and humility in a person's life. Like that's where John is trying to get us to face and walk and aim not towards some kind of outward sanctification that's going to solve this, which is why verses one and two of chapter two are so important. Um, Like, it's easy to run over them because they're just about Jesus. Um, And if you're a Christian person, you've heard that a lot of times. But they're the answer, right? Putting yourself next to him in confession, in repentance, like you just said, that's the direction that he wants us to start taking.
2: Yeah, absolutely, right? And and maybe kind of rolling off those Kierkegaard ideas. And we got to be real careful with with right how we how we maybe use this word, but but the idea with John is is there's really this 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 emphasis on authenticity, right as a Christian, that to be a Christian to walk in the light is to recognize um, that you need to repent, right? That you, that you are completely honest about who you are, about your, your mode of being, about, the, about how you contribute to the darkness in this world and, and the suffering. And, and so the first step is, is this very kind of authentic reflection on who you are. And that's the type of life that he's talking about here, right? Uh, a life of being either in the truth or not in the truth. And part of the truth... The Christian truth is thats is that there is such a thing as real evil and pain and suffering, and people are at the heart of that, right? We've got that in all of us that, that bring this into the world, and we need to be honest about that. But then the other half of the truth, which, which is interesting, is like you said that there's those five ifs, right? There's actually a sixth mm-hmm. if, That goes on right at the beginning of the next chapter there. So you've got one more pair. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. So the the pair before that is about you deceiving yourself. This last pair is about calling Jesus a liar, right? You make him out to be a liar. My dear children, I write this to you so that you'll not sin. But if anybody does Mm -hmm. sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's, he's basically saying, and so the words that he's speaking, right, um, what he's claiming, what Jesus is saying to the Father in our defense is that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And so again, right, the contrast here is walking through life, believing you have not sinned is contrasted with trying to live right, knowing you can't do it perfectly, and having Christ right there with you, with his forgiveness and his atoning sacrifice, and him advocating to the Father, uh, I've got them covered. The payment has been made. Uh, They're holy, they're pure, even though we know that we're not, because we're in this process. Of, of always reflecting on our continual
1: need for Christ. Uh, what's your two cents, Luke, on, like in verse 7, um, when he says, you know, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. The, the part where he just puts in that we have fellowship with one another, we don't usually think of that as sort of the response um to, to sin, we don't necessarily think of that in connection to repentance or confession. Um, what's going on in John's mind as he says those words there? Like, why is he bringing that theme up or that concept?
2: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of this has to do with, with uh, what, what you were talking about. Ah, was it, was it at the last time we talked or before that? But one of the major themes here is, is John is not talking about the isolated Christian life. Um, but the Christian life is necessarily a communal thing that's taking place. Um, we're going to see this over and over again when, where this phrase gets brought up. Um, that John's joy is made complete. Uh, that, uh, um, what does he say uh, a little bit later, God's love is made complete. And the complete part there that he's talking about is always, right, the first half of, of the Christian joy, right? The thing that brings us joy, the thing that brings every Christian joy, the first part is that you realize what Jesus has done for you and you realize how awesome he is and, and how, how amazingly uh, blessed it is that you have Jesus on your side. So that's, that's the first joy, right? That's the first thing. But the second half of being a Christian where God intends the gospel to kind of continue through us, right, and not just stop with us, is into fellowship with one another. Um, And so this walk in life is necessarily... Something that involves other people, and so John's going to just continue to talk this way. It's it's going to be again if we're thinking about like a, a poem or a piece of music, and there's this theme of fellowship that he's just going to bring in. It's it's just going to continually be brought up over and over and again because for him that's that's just a major part of what it means to be a Christian is walking in the light together.
1: Right? Um, I don't know what yeah. what, were, what were you thinking. When you were taking a look at that. That's exactly what I had in mind, right? Like in in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And you might think that 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 additional clause at the end, you know, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, is just like a nice little little bonus thought that he has, but it's not. It's the point um, for him. This connection that Jesus brings, this fellowship that Jesus brings, this... I don't know, this community that Jesus builds um, through his atoning sacrifice is so important to John. And as you know, we phrased, we, we sort of framed him uh, when we talked about the author as this, this young person who's trying to figure out how to make the world work, and he, he, he finds that hope fulfilled in Jesus. Like John is not looking for something just for himself. He's different, I think, from like the rich young man that Jesus dealt with in that regard. John is looking at a bigger picture all the time. And we can't just don't we can't run over those words. They're so important to his overall theme.
2: Absolutely. And and I think a huge a huge thing here is that is if if there's something that, that has to resonate with especially like our generation at this time right now, there's this huge desire. Um, one of the reasons why this world feels so dark is so many people feel in isolation, right? They, they're just completely cut off from one another, whether it's from technology or, or you name it, pains in the past, but there's this overwhelming feeling of isolation. And I think a lot of it comes also with with just... Some of the philosophies that get taught today about kind of the lack of meaning in this life and and we're just kind of cut off in these isolated worlds. And what's interesting is you look at John's letter, and it's almost all in first-person plural, right? He says, if we Mm -hmm. claim to have fellowship, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light, he's in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And he's going to continually talk in in this communal language, because what... What Christ does is he does not just bust the individual out of the darkness, but he busts the community out of the darkness, right? This is, this is a family that's being created in the midst of what before had been a desert of nothingness, an infinite night. Now there's this city, right, uh, this community of people that are being brought forth into the light.
1: Um, yeah, it's... That's so, like... The, the doctrine of, of vocation yeah. and fulfilling your Christian calling yep. is a doctrine of Christian fellowship. Yep. It's about those connections that we make. And, like, you know, this big question that we're asking in this section and in the book in general, you know, how, how does Jesus bring light into a dark world? Maybe the answer is simpler than you might think. Maybe it's just he brings light into the dark world. Like, he doesn't stay away from it, he dives in and gets involved with it and connects with it, um, with us who are in it. Um, one person at a time by building this fellowship and completing his love.
2: Yeah, and and he's call, love he's, is worthless. Yeah, right. That's
1: being connected. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And and it's just it's this Sorry, call ahead. into it, right? Um, no, I'm just getting worked up here, right? It's this call <laughs> call into this this new. So you look at verse uh, like chapter two, verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have one who speaks to the father in our defense right so so his goal is to help foster this community of living in the light um, where people are striving to be ethical and good to one another because the blood of christ does transform us right the christian will look and will act differently after uh coming to know their savior than before right that that he just has to in some way, shape, or form. But yet, there's this, this this brute honesty about life in this world. But if anybody does sin, John's expecting that we're going to sin, right? So we're striving again for this walk in the life, or this walk in the light, this, this life together. Um, but as you're going about it, you're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. Um, you're not going to always be... Uh, the Christian that you want to be. You're not always going to represent Christ the way that you want to. You're going to make huge mistakes. And when that happens, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so the community is protected so to speak by christ you're free to strive to live differently to bring light into a dark world and when you screw up uh, the arms of your savior are still right there around you keeping you on that path and moving you forward Um, so it's it's really a a beautiful vision for for the for the christian community when you think of it um, the way he talks it it would just be amazing (laughs) if this is how we talked to one another, right? Um, yeah. Um, as, as members of a, of a Christian family, um, encouraging each other, but yet at the same time, like, honest about who we are, our potential for great evil, but but the blood of Christ is right there atoning for us, keeping us on the path and moving us forward. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's blowing my mind right now, right? Like that. There's this this constant communal nature to everything that happens. So when when like when when we say to a person, "I forgive you your sins um, in the name of Jesus," we aren't really saying that for their sake. We're saying it for the sake of the people who are around them. Because, yeah, or for you know, both, right? Yeah, and benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yep. Like inescapably, it affects them as an individual, but the effect that it has on our own heart is really a means to an end to an even greater ideal that is this united community that you just described.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's very clear that the way that John's going to be talking about confession in this letter, he's seeing it in a communal setting, right? This is not just you confessing your sins privately to your God and moving on with your life, but instead it's it's this, this beautiful thing that Christians are able to do of forgiving one another, right, and living in that forgiveness and moving forward, and it's a powerful thing to be able to to say to someone that's hurt you, you know, that seriously hurt you. I forgive you, right, and um, and God forgives yeah. you, and we're going to move on, right? Um, yeah, I think in in yeah, my mind, so good. In my mind, you look at especially two one, like this is the most important. Verse in the entire letter for like kind of keeping in your mind as as John writes. I don't think it's necessarily the theme, but but if you don't remember that he said this while you're reading the rest of John, you can go off the deep end completely, and it just turns sure. into a letter of work righteousness and just you know trying to appease God and that God's called us into this perfect life, um, and that's not his point, right? Um, yeah, so don't ever read another verse without having that one. Yeah, right. I, um, I'd suggest that. Yeah, read that first and then kind of read the next section because um, he expects you to sin um, and, uh, and expects you to continue to need Christ. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that he expects you to live differently, right, and expects the Christian community to act differently, um, to not live yeah. in a state of self-deception. Um, but one of... And again, like with, like it's I, it's hard to say, but but an authentic one, right? That's 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 what he's saying. Like the authenticity of of knowing God's law, knowing who you are in front of God, and what Christ has done for you, and now calls you to do, right? Knowing the meta narrative clearly and how it applies to you. So,
1: yeah, that's so good. So, summing this section up, we sort of see John have two true things to say. Right, like that. That on the one hand, um, we have an absolute need for the light that comes from God and from God alone, um, and we can't provide that on our own. But on the other hand, once we have it, we are not meant to hoard it. Um, we are meant to to share it in fellowship with every possible person, or um, well, at least every person that He was the atoning sacrifice for, which is every person in the whole world.
2: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so, I mean, we, we began asking, you know, how do you bring light to this dark world? And, and John's going to take the rest of the letter, or at least the first half of the letter, to answer that question, right? We, we're not in any way summing up the answer to that at this point, right? Uh, there's so much more that's coming up to it. But yet, what we see is he's clearly calling us to live that he believes life in the light is possible, right? And it's possible as a community to do this in Christ. Um, Yeah.
1: Cool, 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 cool. Brilliant, Kent. Um, Anything else
2: you want to make sure we bring out of this? No, I'm good. That's, um, that's, I got to think about that for a little bit, man. (laughs) That was a ride. That was (laughs) fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E Podcast.com. Thanks for listening.